If you've ever wondered how to get your food blog to stand out in the crowded landscape of food blogging today, the answer is pretty simple. It's user experience. Creating a great user experience for your website visitors is the key to helping your blog stand out, getting new users to your website, and retaining them as future raving fans. Hey friend, I'm Madison Wetherill, a web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers and your host for the Vine podcast. This show is all about supporting you as a food blogger as you grow your business. I'll share tips for designing your business and your website with intention so that you can build a blog that fits into your life, not consumes it. You'll hear tips for connecting with your audience, growing your blog, and tips for managing and designing your website, all in short, easy to consume and actionable episodes. If you're ready to think differently about the strategies and tactics that you need to grow your food blog, you are in the right place. I'm so excited that you're here, friend. Let's get started. Welcome friends to another episode of the podcast. So excited that you are tuning in today. And I'm really excited to share this episode in particular because user experience is something that I just love talking about. Now, if you are brand new to the show, we've had quite a few new people signing up for our summer email series, which I'll talk about in just a second. I am so glad that you are tuning in to today's episode. There are plenty of other episodes that I have done on the podcast talking about user experience, but this is a really great one to get you started. And if you're one of our return listeners, thank you so much for being here again this week, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode just as much. My name is Madison Wetherill, and I am the founder and CEO of Grace and Vine Studios. Over there, we specialize in creating custom brands and websites for food bloggers looking to take their business to the next level. Now, on a personal note, I can finally say this in an episode with confidence, and that is that at this point, I have most likely entered into maternity leave as we have welcomed our third baby to our family. Still a little bit weird to be pre-recording that because at this current moment, that is not true, but I know by the time you are listening to this episode, we will be long past my due date and hopefully have a very healthy baby in our arms. If you want to catch all of the baby updates, you can head over to Instagram. That's pretty much the only place where I may or may not be active to share those types of updates. It is one thing to be planning for your maternity leave and really thinking about what you want it to look like. And it is a completely different thing to actually be living it out. So who knows what it will actually look like when we get there, which is right now as you are listening. The last update that I want to share with you is that if you have not signed up for Sizzling Summer Camp, our free email challenge series all about setting up your quarter four to be the best ever, then I would love for you to go sign up for that right now. Seriously, pause the episode, find the link in the show notes and go sign up because I know for a fact that people are going to love this challenge and it is really going to set you up for the best end of the year that you have had so far. So head over to graceandvinestudios.com slash summer and you can sign up there or there will also be a link in the show notes for you to sign up. In this free challenge, we're going to be focusing on how to prepare for the best quarter four that you have had so far. And we will be digging into topics like setting goals for your quarter four, making a plan for your content, making sure that your website and your brand is up to date, as well as making a plan for this new audience that you're going to be attracting to your website to make sure that you can capture your ideal readers to be a part of your community and your audience that you are building through your website. So again, head over to graceandvinestudios.com slash summer to sign up for this completely free challenge. Make sure that you do this as soon as possible so that you do not get behind and you can complete all of the different weeks of the challenge before quarter four begins. 
All right, so for today's episode, I have a special treat for you because this is an episode that I am resharing from the Eat, Capture, Share podcast with Kimberly Espinel. I absolutely loved our conversation that we had all around user experience and really how to stand out as a food blogger. And I wanted to make sure to reshare this with you guys so that you didn't miss some of these tips that I shared. And I am just super excited for you to learn how you can stand out as a food blogger, how you can attract and keep more users on your website. And And this is a perfect time to be thinking about this as we head into quarter four and just really thinking about how we can put our best foot forward when it comes to our website so that not only do we stand out from other food bloggers, but we are really creating an amazing experience for the people who come to our website. So I hope that you enjoy this interview from the Eat, Capture, Share podcast. Madison, thank you so much for coming on to the Capture Share podcast. I am super, super excited about our chat because I feel I know the listeners are going to walk away with so much value. But before we delve into the interview, please introduce yourself. Yeah. So my name is Madison Weatherill and I'm the CEO and founder of Grace and Vine Studios. And over there, we specialize in working with food bloggers to build custom brands and websites. And I always like to say that our clients are really looking to elevate their website and their sort of web presence to match the level of business that they have built. A lot of the time people, you know, they build a website and it kind of sits for a few years. And over that time, their business continues to evolve and grow and become more of an authority in the industry. And so we like to help our clients basically get their web presence caught up with where their business has grown over the years. So I'm also the host of the Vine podcast. And over there, I like to share tips about strategy and design, really helping food bloggers to get clear about how they can connect with their audience through their website and through their messaging. And yeah, I live in Arizona with my family and most of my free time is spent with them and trying to get as much sunshine as we can and all of those good things. I love it. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of people come to food photography and food blogging really through their love of cooking and not necessarily because they're into design or they know about design. You know, there's always exceptions, right? But most people, that's their route in. And so I'd actually like to start there. Why do you feel it's important to have a beautiful looking blog, a beautiful brand? Like, why do you feel it matters? Absolutely. So like you said, most of the time for people, their love of design is not what brought them to being a food blogger. It's Mm -hmm. their love of food. And the nature of the food blogging and food photography industry is that we have to wear so many hats and web design just happens to be one of those hats. But I think it's so important to create a space for people in the same way that you would create a space for someone in your home if you were inviting them over. Because essentially what we're doing with our food blogs is we're creating a place for people to come and to experience the content that we have to share with them. But more importantly than that, we're creating a space where they can come to have their problems fixed and solved and to find solutions. And I think that's a really important mindset shift for people to go through to realize that they're creating more than just a recipe. And there's really a lot more depth behind what food bloggers do. And when you can get really clear on that and start to think of it that way, it really puts things into a whole different perspective. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to start really at the beginning, I think, because I feel that there's this 
perception that nobody visits food blogs anymore, everyone's on Instagram, everyone's on TikTok. Do you feel that it is still worth having a blog? And yeah, let's, yeah. <laughs> that's my that's my question. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right that people are spending a lot more time on social media than they might be just browsing the internet. I think in in years past, you know, we have spent a lot more time maybe just hopping around sites and kind of consuming content in that way. However, I think it is still really, really important to have a a presence that you own and you have control over because something that you know, almost every single content creator has gone through is some sort of algorithm change or some sort mm. of something happening that is out of your control that changes the way that you can connect with people. And we have mm. clients who share all the time on their Instagram stories, for example, what their reach is. And it's usually like, you know, a post might have a two to 3% reach. And so that means you have so many other people who have at some point said they want to know what you're sharing, but they're just not getting served that information. And so when you have something like a blog, it creates a hub for people to be able to find your content in a way that is more controlled by you and also curated by you. It is not up to, you know, the Instagram or whatever algorithm, you know, police, what is going to be shown to your readers. So that's a huge part that I think is still so relevant today. I feel like it's something we've talked about for years, like Mm. this idea of owning your content. But I think people have kind of forgotten that nothing's changed for social media. And at the end of the day, you aren't in control of whether your account, you know, gets suspended or just disappears from people's feeds. Mm. So it's really important to remember that by creating a blog, you're creating a space that is owned by you, controlled by you, and ultimately like protected in a way because of that. So I totally agree. I mean, in fact, I don't feel that I could be where I am now in my creative business without the blog. So much so that we did a complete total brand overhaul last year. And you know, those things aren't cheap, but I felt it was a really wise way to spend my money, so to say. So I can totally, you know, really echo what you've, what you've said. I guess what holds a lot of my audience back is this worry or fear that it's going to be a huge time investment. And I don't know if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, definitely. And again, going back to that idea that we kind of mentioned at the beginning mm-hmm. of just having to wear so many hats, it's really interesting because I think the food blogging industry is unique in that people are so scrappy in a good way. Like they are so willing to, you know, put their head down and learn what they need to learn to make things happen. But that comes at a cost of time and it can yeah. sometimes be really frustrating to have to deal with that. And I think there's a season for every, I guess, type of website. And there's a season at the beginning when you're just getting started where you just need something that is up and running and, you know, looks as good as it can. You know, it's very rare that I would recommend for somebody to invest in a custom website at the beginning. The only time that I would say that that's worth it is if it's something like it's your second blog or you've been in the online space long enough that you know, like this Mm -hmm. is the end game for you. But most of the time, getting started, you just need a really lean, fast, and functional website. And there's a lot of ways to do that where it's not going to be super time consuming and it's not going to cost a ton of money. And I think you just have to 
be okay with it not being perfect Mm. so that you can really focus on what is important. Because at the beginning, even in the first couple of years of running a food blog, the most important thing for you is to really get clear on who your audience is and how you can serve them and then to produce content. And everything else can sometimes be a distraction from that and kind of a shiny object when that is really the key that you need to focus on in the first couple of years to get the ball rolling. Yeah. And so for anyone who's tuning in, who doesn't have a blog, who doesn't have a website, who's completely overwhelmed by the idea of starting one, are there like three, four, five pages that are a must, like the bare bone minimum that warrants spending time on? Like, is it, is there, are there three pages that you must have that will allow you to just get the ball rolling? And if so, what are they? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually going to take a step back before I answer that because I think what a lot of people miss when they're getting started is sort of the the plan and the foundation of their content. And again, going back to this idea of really truly knowing your audience. And so I'm going to start there for a second. I think it's so important to first recognize that you're not just providing a recipe. That is not what people need. That's not what people, that's not what their true struggle is. When they go to Google, sure, they might be thinking like, I need a recipe for dinner tonight. But ultimately there's a deeper need behind that search. And there's a deeper reason that they're coming to try to find content. And so getting really clear on that and getting really clear on who it is that you're trying to help is going to help you to really get sort of this foundation of what your blog is going to be. And from there, you can really start to plan out what your content is going to look like, which will then help you to build your website in a way where you really understand how all of these pieces connect. So Once you get really clear on that, I think for someone getting started, there's really only two pages that are sort of essential. And one is your homepage and one is the actual blog post itself. And that's kind of a tricky one because it's not every single blog post that you have is technically a different page, but there is sort of a a template or like a rhyme or reason of how you write your content. And so that's why I kind of loop that all in as one page because every blog post that you write will have some commonalities between them. So homepage and your actual blog post are going to be your two most important pages when you're just getting started. Amazing. And then also I'm going (laughs) to rewind a little bit now. And just because I have my mentoring clients in the back of my mind as well. And a lot of them kind of get stuck at that very first hurdle in identifying who am I trying to serve? So, you know, anybody and everyone who loves food obviously isn't, you know, clear and specific enough. So are there any questions that people can ask themselves to get some clarity on who they're serving? Yeah. So I always really just love to kind of peel back the layer of why someone is searching for that recipe. So I'll try to use the example I just said of just someone searching for a dinner recipe. So really it's thinking about what are they struggling with that is leading them to need to search. So there's, there's so many different examples of something that someone could be struggling with. One might be that they are struggling with a skill. They don't know how to prepare a certain type of recipe or Mm -hmm. they just don't have basic cooking skills. One might be that they have, you know, 15 minutes to get dinner on the table before they have to run to soccer practice. Another might be that they have a new 
gluten allergy in the family. And so they're searching for recipes that will be good for the entire family to enjoy that doesn't sacrifice, you know, taste and quality because they have this new allergy to, you know, figure out. So all three of those people are looking for something completely different, even if their search query on Google is the exact same. Maybe they're searching for gluten-free chicken casserole, but their need for those things is completely different and unique. And so it's really tempting to want to make you know, your content apply to everybody, like all three of those examples. But at the end of the day, you're not really going to help the person with that unique struggle if you are trying to help all three of those people because they have totally different needs. And so when, again, when you can just get really clear on like, my people are not searching for a gluten-free recipe. What they're really searching for is a gluten-free recipe that can be made in 15 minutes and can get me out the door for soccer practice. Like Mm -hmm. that is the full story. And so you have to know that full story. And I always tell people too, that this is not something that you're going to just find you know, in your analytics, or it's not something that you're going to find easily, you have to be kind of willing to do the work to figure out what your people are already struggling with. And if you are brand new and you don't have people yet, and you're building this, then you really need to get clear on the people that you want to help and you can help so that as you're writing your content, you can naturally just put in examples and stories and tips that are going to help that person because you know who they are and you know what they're struggling with. I love that. Thank you. That's super, super helpful. Now, another stumbling block that a lot of people encounter, not just on blogs, but I think generally, is that it does feel that, you know, the market is saturated. There's so many food blogs out there. What can you do to have your blog, your content stand out? Such a good question because you're right. I mean, it, and I remember, you know, even I'm trying to think back to when I first got started, it was almost seven years now the market was saturated then and now it's just continued to, (laughs) yeah, it's just continued to grow. And I was just having a conversation with one of our clients yesterday about this. And we were just talking about how, if you want to be successful these days, you really have to get clear on what your niche is. Mm. And a niche no longer is just gluten-free recipes. In fact, I always, when our clients go through their branding process, we have a questionnaire that they go through. And there's a part in there where I talk about your niche and defining that. And I say that there are three different levels to your niche. The first is, you know, maybe that you're a food blog. The second might be that you're a gluten-free food blog. But the third layer is the layer that's the most important to get clear on. And that is If you imagine that I stood up all of the gluten-free bloggers in a row in front of me, what would make you and your blog different than all of those other gluten-free bloggers? Mm. Because there is something that is unique to your story and to the people that you can help that will differentiate your content. And that is kind of this idea of like a micro niche that you have to get really clear on so that you can stand out because otherwise there's no reason that I would go to your site for a gluten-free recipe versus somebody else's. And that's when you get into this trap of, you know, algorithm changes and Mm. all of these things. So if you really want to stand out, you have to get clear on what your, you know, micro niche is and who your target person is and be a little bit unapologetic about that. I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. They just want to help everybody. But when we try Mm. to help everybody, we actually end up helping nobody in the process. So true. So true. Now, let's just say someone has 
launched their blog, they've niched down, they've done amazing. And then their first, second, third month, they look at their traffic and crickets. So what can we do to get more people to find our blog, to read our blog? Any tips you've got to share there? For sure. And this is something that, you know, food blogging is a long game and it, it is rare for people to have that overnight success. And if they do, sometimes it doesn't last. And so first thing I want to just encourage people is just be patient because it does it does take a while. However, I think there are some things that you can do to get people to your site and to increase the likelihood of success. And one of those is just creating really good content. And again, going back to this idea of knowing your people, answer the questions that they have, be willing to do the market research to find out like what questions are people asking around my content? What are they struggling with? Talk to people in real life, you know, get on a couple of phone calls and ask people, Hey, what's your biggest challenge with getting this kind of recipe completed? And listen and be willing to create content around that. This is going to help you to rank better on Google and on Pinterest. And it's also going to help your content be memorable for people because it really answers their problems. Even if their problems, they don't consciously know that they're having, it's still going to resonate with them because when they come to your site, they're going to be like, wow, I don't know how she knew that this is what I was struggling with. So that's really the first one. And, you know, I think when you are, again, clear on who you are working like for who you're trying to attract, then you can make sure you're in all the right places. Because if your target audience isn't on Facebook, for example, you don't need to waste your time being on Facebook to grow your audience. You can focus your time in the place that they you know, are spending time, whether that's Instagram or TikTok or Pinterest or whatever. And then I think the other side of that coin is really having a website that is user-friendly and really creates a really clear user experience journey through your website. And that's going to come from being really intentional about what you want someone to do on your website and really ultimately how you want them to move through your content and through your website on this idea of a journey from where they're at right now in their struggle to where you want to take them. Yeah, I love that. Hey, food bloggers, how would you like to end the year with your best quarter four ever? Every year when quarter four rolls around, you might find yourself scrambling to get ahead and actually enjoy some time away from your business for the holidays. Well, this year I have something that is going to help you prepare for the best quarter of the year. Sizzling Summer Camp is a free challenge to cook up your best quarter four yet. Throughout this challenge, you'll be walked step-by-step step through what you need to do to prepare for having a successful quarter to wrap up this year. This is going to be action-packed with everything that you need to know and the steps you need to take to make sure this year ends on a high note. I do not skin the surface at all when it comes to sharing the best tips for making sure your content, your website, and your brand is ready for an exciting quarter. All you need to do to join this completely free challenge is head to graceandvinestudios.com summer to sign up. Now, a few of the things that we'll be covering throughout the weeks of this challenge are things like setting your goals for quarter four, making a plan for your content, a DIY website review and audit, raise your RPM and make more money, and a site speed tune-up. These are just some of the things that we'll be covering between the end of July and the beginning of October. We have different ways for you to get accountability throughout this challenge and plenty of reminders to take action so that you will see the results that you're wanting head over to graceandvinestudios.com slash summer to sign up for the free challenge. And you can also find a link in the show notes. Can't wait to see you there. 
how often do you feel we need to blog for our blog really to gain any sort of traction? Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. So I think Google in general likes consistency and, and, and not just Google, really our readers like consistency too. They want to know when they can expect to hear from us. And again, a lot of these thoughts are subconscious. They're not things that our readers are, you know, staying up at night wondering like, when is Kimberly going to share another <laughs> post, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's something that we have to train our audience on. And so if you, for example, you know, with both of us being podcasters, you know, my audience knows when to expect my new podcast episodes. Mm. And if I go MIA for six months, they're going to notice, you know, and they may not notice if I go MIA for a week, but they're going to notice over time and be wondering like, where is that content? So I think figuring out a schedule that works for you is really important and being consistent with that. I think ideally, if you can be publishing a new piece of content every week, that's really helpful, especially when you're getting started. But if you really can only commit to one blog post per month that you know, is going to knock it out of the park and is really going to be excellent, then do that. And don't feel like you have to do something every week, but make it, you know, subpar. We really want to be producing Mm -hmm. the best content we can. And if that happens less frequently, that's okay. But it's just being realistic about what you're able to actually achieve. And something else that I think is just so important to, for people to remember, especially at the beginning is, or even later on in their journey is what parts of the content creation process get in your way? And is there some Mm. way for you to get help with those things? Because again, food bloggers think they need to wear all the hats, but if you are horrible at photography or if you're horrible at writing, like there's ways to get other people involved in it so that again, you can create the best content possible. And maybe you don't produce as much because it's an investment for you, but Mm. it's going to benefit you in the long run to do what you need to do to produce the best content possible. I love that. I have to say I do. So I started blogging, I think this month it'll be eight years. So my blog is eight years old this month. And I have to say, I do love that I have worn all the hats. You know, I love that because it means that I develop those skills. It also means that if and when I decide to outsource certain parts that I know exactly how to explain what they need to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And and there is a really important side of that because there's a lot of things that are hard to outsource without at least being able to explain what it is that you do or like what needs to happen. But I just think a lot of people get stuck in this trap of feeling like they have to do everything. And it's, it's a bad trap to get into because it can honestly can hinder your growth in the end. Mm, Totally, totally. And then another thing that I, so before I started my blog, I would say for a good two years, I read blogs like religiously, you know, like, just like you said, I'd be like, oh my God, when does like Beth Kirby's blog, for example, is one that I always used to go to or Cynthia from Two Red Bulls. Like those were two that I always, always read their blog posts. And I feel that over the years, blog posts have sort of gone through different iterations and evolutions. Like it used to be all this kind of storytelling and really, really personal with lots of comments. And then suddenly now, you know, it feels like it's a lot more, you know, not trying to game the SEO system, but it feels more like a lot of keywords put in and then a lot of text, you know, some of it doesn't feel like it's needed. And then like an hour later, you finally find the recipe. Like, where do you feel we are at now in terms of the optimal 
style of blog posts? And is it okay just to post a couple of photos and the recipe? Such a good question. And I know this is something that is really frustrating for food bloggers because, you know, it's it gets frustrating at the end of the day when you just feel like your content and your blog just look like everybody else's. And, you know, we kind of talked about like how to stand out through just knowing your audience. But I think you have to also remember, I like to think of this as like, if you have a big circle of all of the traffic that's coming to your site within that circle, you have a smaller circle of kind of your ideal people and who are going to actually care about the stories that you tell. But I think those stories and that connection piece has just been, I don't want to say it's been removed from the blog, but it's been, it needs to have a different path. And that is going to look like, you know, getting people on your email list and communicating with them that way Mm. or communicating with them on Instagram stories. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that I think our society is just moving so quickly that like you said, it's like they don't want to take the time to scroll to the recipe or, you know, it just feels like it takes forever when it really takes two seconds. And we have to adapt to what Mm -hmm. society wants and what our users want ultimately. But I think you do have, everybody has that core audience that cares about the stories and they care about, you know, the personal details. They just might not be the majority. And so it doesn't seem like they care or that people care about that in general. But again, when you are really clear about who you're talking to and why your content matters to them, you're going to be able to form those deeper connections. And ultimately, I think you're going to be able to convert more of those people that are just kind of your random audience from Google into people who really care about the stuff that you're sharing and who are going to, you know, subscribe to your email list, who are going to buy your products or buy your cookbook and be your biggest fans, I think we just, those voices tend to be a little bit quieter in the grand scheme of things. So it's a little bit harder to feel like they're there, but they are. Yeah. I also think for me, what I notice is that if I offer a lot of value on my site, so my site is, I do some recipes, but mainly it's food photography and, you know, the creative business stuff. But if I have a lot of blog posts that offer value, then some of the posts that maybe are a little bit more vulnerable or a little bit more personal, people are much more interested in, you know, within the context of all the other content that I have shared. So I was wondering, are there any mistakes that you see food bloggers make that we haven't touched on yet? Anything else to avoid, to be mindful of, especially those starting, but also anybody who's a little bit further along their blogging journey already? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, if I had to sum it up, is really just following what everyone else is doing or following what you might have seen one big blogger doing and just thinking that that's going to be the golden ticket to your success. I think it's really tempting to follow things and feel like everything is kind of formulaic, but really what is successful for one person may not be successful for your blog. And again, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, when you don't stand out or when you don't try to differentiate yourself, you're just going to end up blending in and not really being able to find that audience that you really want to attract to your site. So I think it's really important to kind of make your own path. And yeah, you can follow best practices for SEO. Of course, we want to do that. And we can, you know, take the same food photography courses that people are taking or, you know, like you said, read other food blogs and see what other people are doing. But we need to be taking that as 
food for thought or for inspiration mm-hmm. and not taking it as the Bible and like the thing that you have to do to be successful. So I would just be really mindful about just taking what you th- see everybody else doing and thinking that that's going to be your key to being successful. Love it. Now I've got a few more questions before we bring the episode to a close. And one of them is actually latching onto something you mentioned before, because you mentioned one of my most favorite things, mailing lists. And I was recently speaking to someone who said that the new trend is not to include uh, sign up to my mailing list at the bottom of every blog post. I don't know if you've heard about that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, any advice you can share around that. Sure. So I think one of the things that tends to happen is, you know, people, again, they're kind of following a checklist in their head from wherever they've gotten this idea of this checklist of how to be successful. And so they might just throw an email sign up form, but they're not really going to use it. And so it just says, you know, subscribe to my newsletter. And with every, again, with how fast society moves, how many things people are inundated with in a given minute, we have to be really thoughtful about what we're asking people to do. And you have to really create something that people care about. And so I always love to help our clients figure out a really strategic freebie that is going to actually serve their reader. Mm. And so often, I can't even tell you how many times this happens. It's something that is so obvious to their content or to what their readers are struggling with, but it's like our clients have just never thought about it because they're almost too close to, Mm. you know, what they do. But I think we have to kind of almost simplify this to really think about like, what is someone actually going to use? They're not going to print out a 20 page ebook of recipes and make those recipes. It's just, it's not going to happen. What they might use is a simple one page, five step checklist to whatever it is that you're trying to help them do. And so I think I would disagree with the trend of not serving an email sign up, but I would say that you have to be strategic about it. And if you're just Mm -hmm. saying sign up for my email list, like people just don't care about that Mm -hmm. because they've probably seen that seven other times today. Mm -hmm. But if you say like, here's a thing that I can give you that is going to help you with this very particular problem that you have, then that's what they're going to be interested in. And that's what they're going to sign up for. And again, like you might have, let's say you have a hundred people that come to a blog post. You might have five that sign up, Mm -hmm. but those five are your people and they're the ones that you're going to be able to really help. And again, they're going to be the ones that actually care about what you do. So it's much more important to get that small percentage of people through something really clear and strategic than to try to capture all 100 of them when they're ultimately not going to care. They're not going to open your emails and they're going to unsubscribe. So we have to just kind of shift the way we're thinking about this because we don't want everybody. We only want the people that we can really help to, you know, engage in that way. Love it. Now, my last question before my final question is, are you seeing any trends emerge in the food scene, in the food blogging scene that we need to be aware of? Sure. So we kind of talked about this idea of a micro niche before, but I think this is something that's going to just be so important for people going forward. And it's not just something to think about if you're starting a new blog. It's something that you can be thinking about whether your blog is you know, non-existent yet, or if it's 10 years old, but really figuring out like, how does all this stuff connect? Because, you know, we talked a little bit about like what food blogging used to be like, Mm -hmm. and 
we used to be able to just, you know, post whatever you wanted and just publish what you felt like eating that day. And it just doesn't work that way anymore. So you kind of have to figure out how all of those little spider webs connect into the grand like topic of your site. And that's really going to help you to get clear on that pain point for your audience and to really help to serve them. Something else that I'm seeing as kind of a, a trend that I absolutely love is more of these like resource-based blog posts, things that are like more of a how-to or really target a specific problem. So it might be something like, so for example, I have a really popular blog post on my food blog that is a sugar-free muffin recipe. And so we did a like how to, I forget exactly what we titled it, but essentially like how to make muffins sugar-free. And we talked about all of the different ways that you can do that. And so like something like that, it's not a recipe specifically, but it's content that supports my recipe content. Mm. And it's just, I think that in it of itself differentiates you because it really shows that you're an expert and it shows that you know what your readers need and what you, what you can bring to the table. So I've been really encouraging a lot of people to think about their content beyond the recipe itself and figure out how they can have that supportive content. And a lot of the times that content's a lot easier to produce because it doesn't require, you know, recipe development and photography. You can utilize photos that you already have from other content. And so those two things really developing, like what is your micro niche and who is your target person? And then creating really supportive and helpful content around that person, I think are two of the things to really be mindful of in the future. I love it. So much value. Madison's amazing. Thank you. Now, if you listen to the podcast, you may know that I always end by asking my guests what their most favorite thing to eat capture and share is. And I'd love to know your answers to those questions. Yeah, absolutely. So I love to eat in general, which I feel like a lot of your um, people that you interview say that you attract the foodies, but I would say like my go-to, whether it's going to be something that I'm making myself or something that I'm getting out is like any type of baked good. I love scones and muffins and I guess more of those like brunch style of baked goods. So that's definitely my eat. I love to capture photos of my kids when they're exploring and out in nature. So we get a lot of outdoor time living in Arizona. And so I love just being able to capture photos and memories of them in that way. And then for share, I think my favorite thing to share in general is just something that I'm learning. I'm kind of a self-proclaimed lifelong learner. It's something that has always been important to me. I love reading like self-help books and personal development books. And so I feel like I'm always sharing things that I'm learning with the people around me. And then I'd also love to share something specific for people listening if they kind of want to go a little bit deeper into what we've talked about, if that's okay. Of course. Before you do, can I ask what book you're reading right now? That you oh, that's loving? a good question. <laughs> um, we just moved. So a lot of my books are kind of like, you know, all over the place. But one book that I've been reading for the last couple of months is Atomic Habits. And so um, yeah, it's one of those ones I feel like has been on my list for forever. But it's also one that I feel like I have to really read and then implement. And mm-hmm. so that's why it's taking me a little bit longer to read it. But it's been a really good one for me to just kind of reframe the way that I think about a lot of things. Yeah, it's so good. And I have to say, I read that one actually quite quickly, but I do feel it's one that I want to revisit. I'm not a, I don't like reading a book 
more than once actually but this mm-hmm. is one of those ones that really warrants a reread it's it's that good but also for for the material to really sink in anyway it's just yeah. that, that's my two cents worth but uh, madison i would love for you to share where people can find you what you've got on offer because i know they'd love to hear more Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we've talked about kind of a lot today is kind of how to stand out. And I have a recent podcast episode that I feel like would be a really good next step for somebody to listen to. So if you go back to episode 116 of the Vine podcast, I talked about five tips to help your blog post stand out. And that is really from a a kind of general overview perspective of things that I feel like most food bloggers should be able to do on their own. I wanted to cover things that weren't out of reach for people to do on their own and to really like implement right away. So I would love for people to check that episode out or just check out the podcast if you're interested in, you know, kind of some of the things we've talked about today. I have lots of episodes on all of these different things that we've talked about. So I would love for people to go check out the Vine podcast. And apart from that, I'm most active on Instagram over at Grace and Vine. And if anyone is curious about how we work with clients and kind of what that process looks like, they can always go check out our website at Grace and vinestudios.com and our services tab has sort of all the information about the different ways that we work with people and how they can connect. Amazing. I will put a link to everything you mentioned and anything we talked about during the episode in the show notes. And um, thank you so much for your time today, Madison. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.